Welcome to the one-to-one podcast brought to you by the Learning Technology Center of Illinois. The LTC is a program of the Illinois State Board of Education. We support all K-12 districts, schools, and educators in Illinois through technology initiatives, services, and professional learning opportunities. Our work addresses high-needs technology and digital learning challenges, and we help schools increase access to and use of technology to improve educational opportunities for students. Your hosts are... Brian Bates, Associate Executive Director for Professional Learning. And Matt Jacobson, Online Learning Coordinator. Let's get started. Uh, Hi, everyone. Welcome to our Uh, interview this week. We're talking with author and educator Mike Ribble, and uh, we are excited to hear what Mike is going to be uh, uh, sharing with us today. Um, Brian, have you had a chance to read any of Mike's work or look at uh, any of his, any of the things on his website yet? Yeah, I, I, I have. I've checked it out. I really like it. And I'm it it makes me more excited to have this conversation day for sure. So uh, right. thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I guess we'll kick it off by just asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? Um, why might people know you? Or maybe why should people know you? And what kind of work do you do? Certainly. Um, thank you, uh, both Matt and Brian, for having me. Um, it's exciting to always get out there and have some of these conversations with uh, folks uh, both here in the United States, but also globally, you know, uh, uh, it's really become a, a global topic, but you know, the, the area that uh, probably uh, somebody might've seen me or uh, heard of me uh, is uh, my work in digital citizenship. And so uh, this is uh, going on year 20 of talking and writing and presenting on the topic of, uh, digital citizenship. So, uh, been very, very lucky. Uh, worked very closely with ISTE over the years. Uh, some of my first articles were uh, way back. Uh, there's probably a lot of your listeners probably don't even remember the old LNL magazine, uh, Learning and Leading magazine that wow. ISTE put out, and um, wrote several articles for them back in the early 2000s. So, aging myself just a little bit, but. Um, my beard does that too. So just, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it, uh, it's been a, an exciting time. You know, uh, we started off with, you know, some really uh, basic ideas. Um, you know, when I did my dissertation work, uh, my uh, major professor, uh, Dr. Gerald Bailey, uh, really suggested that um, what needed to happen was a framework needed to be created in this area of digital citizenship. And that's, uh, where the nine elements came from and uh, kicked off the first book, uh, Digital Citizenship in Schools, which over a decade went through uh, three different versions of the book. And by the third one, I think we finally got it right in the third one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it just changes, you know, and we've seen tech changes and we're going to continue to see ch- uh, tech change. And that's, you know, part, you know, a big part of what we're going to discuss today is, how these changes are occurring and how can we keep up as educators? So 
Uh, that's uh, probably the biggest. Uh, I've been very fortunate. i uh, traveled actually um, uh, on six of the seven continents. I have not been to Antarctica at this point. Uh, so if there's any penguins listening, um, I'm sure that uh, you know I would be willing to go and do a presentation. But uh, uh, met people, met some amazing people all over the globe. Uh, so uh, you know, it's it's been a great time. Um, you know, COVID was a challenge for everybody, but uh, you know, I think we're on the backside of some of that. And so things have uh, continued to uh, to ramp up and. Um, but I guess uh, on my day day to day job, I, I I am a tech director in a school district as well. So uh, uh, that's what I do uh, um, Monday through Friday. Uh, hopefully not over the weekends if we can help it. But uh, <laughs> um, but right. it's um, you know it it does keep me uh, kind of uh, grounded in you know what exactly is going on in the classrooms as well. And being married to a teacher, an elementary teacher for the last uh, 32 years also has kind of kept me grounded as well. So mm-hmm. all of those are all, uh, all aspects of me and uh, okay. just hoping for the next uh, 10, 15 years, see where go- things go. That's awesome. Well, Mike, I first um, got in, uh, I first got to know you by reading that book, uh, uh, Digital Citizenship Handbook uh, in the Classroom. Uh, probably uh, uh, edition one. So I've known of you for for a long time, and it's wonderful to know that you're just a regular down-to-earth guy like the rest of us, you know? Um, And I used that a lot when when I was starting to work with teachers in in classrooms. Uh, Certainly, like you said, during COVID, digital citizenship became so very important when you know, we were interacting with kids through cameras and and over various platforms. Um, a lot of teachers thought, okay, now that, you know, COVID is, you know, the worst part of COVID is behind us, uh, we can get back to, you know, the way we used to do things. And then last year, <laughs> OpenAI brings out chat GPT and releases it out into the wild. Uh, and, and educators, you know, uh, and, and those, even those of us who are familiar with technology, we're kind of like, wow, what is this going to do for our classrooms? And, uh, I was very interested to, uh, kind of get your take on, AI. How can teachers and educators in classrooms uh, approach that responsible use of AI in you know daily learning activities? I you know that's really been the last six months of my life has really been how do we um, you know focus on this? How do we integrate it? And to be honest, um, I really believe that uh, digital citizenship is a, a, a big piece of this because, you know, really digital citizenship is about that appropriate and responsible use that you talked about. So, you know, falling back into, you know, discussing how we uh, look at the nine elements, you know, for those that haven't, uh, you can go to the website, take a look at it. But, you know, really about digital communication, uh, collaboration, uh, how you know digital literacy, um, even you know all the ethical pieces of you know how we use it. So 
you know, as I was, you know, thinking about these uh, questions that we were going to have today, I thought, hey, why don't I kick it over to uh, ChatGPT and see what kind of answers that oh, uh, there you go. give us. So, so I, I, I threw the questions in there. And, and the nice thing is that, you know, a lot of the things that I was thinking about beforehand were the things that it uh, brought out. So we're uh, uh, at least uh, in, in sync you know, with those kinds of discussions. But really, it's, it's about understanding. And that's, uh, you know, the, the biggest piece with technology. And I think, you know, where the fear comes in and where, you know, districts and administrators and, and even, at, even at the state and the, the, the governmental level, you know, that's where everything comes in is, you know, we go to this uh, dystopian um, idea that, uh, you know, uh, the Terminator will come and, and uh, take us away. Kind of <laughs> the robots thing. are coming. The robots are coming. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, you know, that's kind of the, the, the place that we tend to go to because we've all watched the movies. We've read the books, you know, all of those things. And, you know, it's um, it's something that I think we have to be at least aware of. I mean, you know, there's, you know, always the, you know, potential, you know, with new technology, but in re in reflecting back, you know, you know, I talk a little bit about my history. I don't like to go back there a lot, but you know, when, um, you know, Google first came out, you know, we had similar kinds of discussions in education, you know, that, you know, if you allow Google in the classroom, that students won't be thinking for themselves. All they're going to do is they're going to put in, you know, the information, you know, and then they'll get websites and they'll get articles and all of that. Now, does it happen? Certainly it does. But I think that we as educators also need to be thinking about how do we also make changes as technology changes? And I know that's difficult, especially in education. I, I'm around educators. I live with an educator all the time. And so I know that it's uh, it's not an easy discussion, but you know the first step is really just understanding, and that's that digital literacy piece is you know stepping back and understanding what it can and what it can't do, and you know that's I think in any technology that's what I usually tell uh, educators is go out and, and you know understand it, and um, you know I've I've talked to uh, you know different groups, and you know they're you know, they're really taking this next six months of really making it about educators and understanding what chat and others are. And, and really first, you know, stepping back and really understanding, you know, what uh, kinds of um, AI there are, because there's very different parts of it. And I think sometimes we throw everything into this one pot and say, well, it's all AI. Well, Usually we're talking about generative AI, you know, things that can generate or create something, you know. So, you know, chat GPT is a, t a typical qu um, uh, idea or thought of what, you know, a generative AI is. So we put in a question, it kicks out answers and we mold it, uh, you know, in how we how we want it to, to look. So, you know, and. You know, the, the next piece of that, you know, and it's part of that literacy piece as well, is what do we ask it? You know, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I think, you know, even 
you know, going all the way back when, you know, we, the, one of the first editions of uh, digital citizenship in schools was, you know, people really didn't even know what kind of search strings to use in Google or Bing or whatever it might be, you know, whatever you might use. And that's, you know, uh, you're, you're only going to get the, the data out of it that you ask appropriately for. And that's when I kicked it over to ChatGPT, one of the first things it said, here are some search strings that you might want to try. And it kicked out, you know, uh, you know, just AI in education, but it also, you know, um, AI in special education, uh, AI, you know, in administration. So, you know, there's different areas and then we can further refine it, you know, into different areas. But, you know, it's, it's really understanding that, that piece of it. But then, you know, once we, you know, kind of take it to that next level is how are we going to transform education? And I think that potentially, and, you know, other educators have talked about this as well, is that, you know, this is an opportunity really that um, we could look at the, the, the transformative parts of AI and what can it do for us as educators? Because, you know, you know, potentially, you know, if you're looking at it from a 10,000 foot uh, view, you know, we could be looking at having almost uh, specific uh, um, educational plans for every student by using the AI and using all the data points that come in because we have test scores and we have information about students and, you know, mm -hmm. all of those things. And, you know, those have been, you know, the pieces that we've talked about for years is how do we personalize education and make it so that, you know, we're providing the best resources to our students and where they need those resources. And again, I'm not advocating for getting rid of teachers. I think, you know, that teachers will actually become even more important as that director, that 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 uh, more uh, guide on the side as opposed mm -hmm. to that stage on the stage kind of mentality. So, Absolutely. You know, really trying to um, look at how can, you know, how can we help students? And I think, you know, as educators, I think that's where the goal is, is, you know, what are we doing to provide that to students? And, you know, I, you know, we can, we can talk about, you know, well, the, you know, if we just give them chat GPT, they won't think for themselves. Well, then we as educators need to look at how we're presenting the, the information so that they can take it to the next level. And I looked today and I could not find the article, but there was a, a wonderful article that came out. It was way back in December and I cannot for the life of me find this article, but it was an uh, advanced placement English teacher. And she was writing about how she was going to rework her um, AP English uh, classroom. And she was going to not hide from ChatGPT, but actually require the students to first have ChatGPT put out what it would give as an answer to a question. Then the student had to take that information, identify 
where it made wrong assumptions, where, you know, it, it gave poor information and how they would improve upon it. And they actually were going to be required to give both of those back to the teacher. So mm -hmm. not just the, what the chat GPT as output, but also what they did, you know, to build upon that and really grow that information. And, you know, I've done that in, you know, articles and things that I've written in the last uh, six months or so that it's really given me sort of a leg up and a place to really think from as far as where I might go with certain topics. And, you know, most of the time, like I said, even, you know, for today's, uh, this morning's conversation, you know, I, found that a lot of the things aligned with what I was already going to discuss. But mm -hmm. there's always some of those ideas that something new may pop up. And I was like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. And, you know, building upon those kinds of topics and not just assuming that, you know, we have absolutely every answer. And that's, that's one thing about AI is that, we're starting to collect information from global um, positions, you know, and really gathering information. And that's, I think, what a lot of companies are seeing as the, you know, exciting part of AI is maybe we can answer some of the questions that we've been struggling with now that we all can maybe have a common discussion point and not working all in different silos and really trying to work together. And that's why I think it's important for education not to hide from um, things like ChatGPT and, and other AI, but understand where its place is. But, you know, uh, and I'd, uh, I'd given for the, you know, the show links, you know, um, you know, there's UNESCO is, you know, has put out a ton of information. Um, but there's also um, from the Department of Education here in the United States has also identified um, a white paper on AI. And one of the main things is the human in the middle of peace and that you have to keep human us at the core of all of this, that we're not just going to hand this over to technology, to um, the, the computers, to, you know, the AI, but we need to be in charge. And that's always has to be the goal when we use technology is that we are going to, as the users, we need to focus um, where all of this goes. So I think that was a long uh, winded answer for a uh, two minute uh, <laughs> question. No problem. No. And folks will put links to all those documents in our show notes as well. That was, wow. I, I, I wish I was actually like taking notes because there were a lot of things that I, I wanted to kind of like follow up on and there's a lot there. Uh, one thing I've absolutely loved is the connection to Google, you know, talking about, I remember back when, uh, you know, I first started teaching and I, maybe I'm dating myself a little bit there is on, you know, not, uh, not exactly the most veteran person, but I remember, you know, having to teach students how to the proper way to search. Don't just type the entire question into the search bar, use the plus, use keywords, all that kind of stuff. And that's the same way with what we're seeing with AI. 
AI is you have to, you know, the prompt generation, teaching it how to, or teaching students how to properly uh, mm -hmm. input what you want from it to get it back. And then also, uh, you know, the other comparison to Google is, you know, don't give don't give assessments or don't give don't ask students questions that can be googled for the exact answer same thing applies to this <clears throat> excuse me don't give students an assignment or, or a, an assessment that they can just easily go into chat gpt and get the response back find other ways to include the technology to help them showcase that they've learned something not just allow it to be used so i thought that was an awesome comparison to well, you know, you. something we've done in the not so, you know, recent future, I guess, but, but it's right there. I think that's, that's a great connection. Mm -hmm. um, I have a, uh, my, my next question goes, you know, we've talked a little bit about the teachers and what they look like, you know, what it looks like for them in the classroom, but what about administrators? What about people like you, the people who are, who are living in the tech directors, tech directors uh, that I've heard from are, are being thrown into the, uh, into the fire on this one as well. Um, school boards. Talking about policies, talking about how are we going to address this in our school district? What kind of advice do you have for administrators, tech directors, school boards, any of those types of um, decision makers for um, thinking about AI policy? Yeah, I will tell you that at the beginning of the school year, that was you know one of the hot topics uh, for tech directors in our region, and I'm sure everywhere else. That you know this was probably. Um, the big piece of it. And, you know, and uh, I know that your area, you have, you know, big districts and small districts, you know, that are mm -hmm. out there, and, you know, that, um, you know, some of your larger districts, you know, of course, they have staffs of, you know, 30, 40, 50 people that uh, might be on the IT staffs. But we have, you know, different places that we have maybe one person or two people that are running the entire IT department. Right. And, yeah. you know, that's, you know, that's the concerning piece is, and, and I don't fault them for it, but, you know, a lot of the discussion was, we're just going to block it until we know, we know what to do with it. And mm -hmm. I, it wasn't that I, you know, I, you know, wanted to reach out and just say, no, you can't do that because I understand what it is to be, a, you know, one or two man shop, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's difficult, especially when you're starting a new school year, You've got all of your devices that you're trying to roll out. You're trying to get labs set up. You're trying to, you know, everybody, your phone is ringing, you know, every two minutes, you know, you know, I can't get logged in. I can't do this. You know, it, it, it's a lot. And, and for those districts, you know, that I, I certainly understand it. Now, having said that, I think we, we need to look at policy, you know, how we handle this and, you know, uh, we've talked about this, um, you know, both at the, you know, local level, but at the Fed level. But, um, you know, our state, you know, did come up with not for education, but for their administration did come up with an AI policy. And mm. I didn't learn about it until about six weeks after it had already been out. So uh, <laughs> it was it was fortuitous that I was at a conference and somebody said, oh, well, we already have a policy on this. So. Um, it was a good place to, to get started and, uh, you know, someplace that uh, gave me a leg up. But it was it was really about a lot of the things that we've already kind of discussed. Don't take everything that that ChatGPT identifies as all gospel, you know, that when it comes out that it's going to be always correct. You know, that's one of the things that, you know, we have to be wary of. So 
just because you put it into chat GPT and it kicks something out, you've got to go through it and you've got to um, identify where it may have made mistakes, especially if you're asking it to give references. And I will tell you that ChatGPT and other AIs do something that's called hallucination. And um, it will make up stuff. And yep. it will make up things like references that look really, really good. And uh, you need to be careful um, when you do those kinds of things that you are going back and checking, you know, to make sure it's accurate. So, you know, that's, you know, one of the biggies um, that, that the policy at the state level identified was going through, making sure that it is true, that you're not writing, you're not using the AI as policy creation alone, that just, just because you say, write a policy that says this and have chat GPT. Now, having said that, I, you know, when I was writing, you know, a, um, you know, a, it wasn't a policy, it was more of a procedural thing for our district. I did put it in a chat GPT to begin with and then refined it from there because I thought, well, I might as well, you know, get some input, you know, for, you know, where this might go. So what I did was I took what the Department of Education, what their, um, ideas, um, you know, I think there was 10 um, topic areas that's in the um, Department of Education's white paper. And then I said, create a policy from these 10 elements and oh. put it in there. And it kicked out, you know, uh, I thought a fairly coherent. Now, it was bulleted very strangely, you know, just because of the way that it kicks it out. So it took a little bit of massaging and and reworking it a little bit, but um, it did it did give me some place to start. But um, yeah. uh, like I said, reach out to to different organizations around you and see. I know you added um, you know Illinois um, um, yeah. AI piece that um, talks about that. I think that that's some place you know for for your folks around there, but. You know, if you're in different states and different, you know, uh, uh, principal, you know, principalities, whatever, you might go out and see because a, a lot of uh, organizations have already begun this, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, this process because they feel like they need to get in front of it, which I agree. And, you know, a lot of pressure is being pushed back onto the organizations, uh, to the Googles, to the Microsofts, to the <laughs> others, that they need to also look at their own policies as well. And I think that's inherent for us as tech people. We need to, we need to put that pressure on them as well. But they're not the only people that are involved in this process. I think that we have to be you know, cognizant of where this goes. Absolutely. And, you know, when when we look at your nine elements, your nine themes of digital citizenship, we see, um, you know, there's a lot on uh, uh, communication and collaboration, um, etiquette, of course. Those are things that can be taught in classrooms. Mm -hmm. When we look at things like digital health and welfare, uh, and 
digital rights and responsibilities. Yes, I'm looking at my other screen to because <laughs> I don't remember them all. Apologies. Um, and security and privacy. Mm -hmm. um, we really need to build some partnerships mm -hmm. because... Yes, we can teach some elements, but where are they going to be practiced yeah. outside of school as well? So how can we partner with uh, families, uh, communities to uh, kind of include all stakeholders in reinforcing those good digital citizenship habits when it comes to AI? I think this this is a critical piece. You know, this is something that, you know, even going back to, you know, my first book, um, I did do it as a dissertation piece. So I needed to focus on education. But I saw that parents and communities were critical in this discussion. And, you know, over the years and, you know, I, you know, I suggest that even today, you know, if you go out to a restaurant or you go to an or, you know, any other, you know, event that you look around and you see that there are children and even adults that are on devices all mm -hmm. around all the time. So, you know, if we're going to be handing devices to students before they get into, into our schools, then that discussion needs to start in the homes and that discussion of, when we use devices, how we use devices, and begin to you know help you know the educate our our parents and our hope is that at some point that we will be teaching these things all the way through school, and as parents you know as students come out of school and become parents, they will have the skill sets to be able to help their own children now. I've been advocating that for 20 years now, and uh, it's still been a little bit of slow going. I'm not saying it hasn't, uh, you know, in areas, there have been some great, great strides. Um, there's been folks all over, you know, that have been doing this, but we need to help them along. And, you know, uh, this, this latest book that we did, um, the handbook for um, educational leaders that I co-authored with a, uh, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Marty Park out of Kentucky. He actually works at the State Department in Kentucky, and I've known Marty for a long time. And we have a whole section on working with parents and you know what kinds of things should you be asking and 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 talking to them about and really trying to reinforce that. But even more so, you know, as you you begin to build through these different elements we've added another layer into this in this last book where we've identified what we call the S3 framework, which is safe, savvy, and social. And it's a building block very much like what we see in any other curricular area, English language arts, social studies, science, that we work from some base levels. You know, if you're talking about English language arts, you, you can't write a paragraph until you understand nouns and verbs. Mm -hmm. And we believe that the same thing is true with things like um, understanding about passwords and multi-factor and 
and you know securing your own information so that you know it's not you know out there but identifying when we need to you know provide that and how we provide that to to different organizations so you know we are looking at this building process and i think some of the, those safety discussions need to even start before we get them in our schools and I know that this is going to sound, you know, a little radical, but, you know, we have, you know, certain skills that we ask of our kindergartners that come into our schools. I think that some of these basic digital skills, we need to start finding out where they are in the continuum. And maybe they're at the, you know, maybe they haven't had a lot of experience, which is great, but we need to know where they are so that Mm -hmm. we as educators can help them through this, you know, through the process. Because I I think there's always this assumption, well, you know, kids grew up around technology. They, you know, they've had, you know, PlayStations or, you know, whatever gaming system or, or, you know, and they already know how to use technology. And an interesting, um, and I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't share this um, white paper, but, Um, He just um, released a a white paper about our new educators that are coming out of our um, teacher prep programs. And according to their statistics, and this is a 2023 um, study, that 56% of our new teachers do not feel comfortable about using technology in the classroom. Wow. And that to me was pretty striking, you know, mm-hmm. do they know how to go to, you know, social media, to Insta, to X, to, to whatever? Certainly. But how do you begin to teach a third grader how to use an iPad, a Chromebook or whatever in the classroom and make it effective? Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, where, you know, there's a, a disconnect. We have the technology, we provide that to people but we're not providing the skills that are really necessary to be able to help them to be the best um, users and also educators of these tools. Well, and I'm going to go a little bit off script here, and I apologize, Mike. Um, You have on uh, digitalcitizenship.net, um, you have a wonderful resource. It's a, uh, it is sort of a progression chart, a continuum of when to teach and how to teach digital citizenship skills. And there are a lot of places where you can say, oh, that applies to AI also. So if For our listeners and our viewers, if you haven't been out to digitalcitizenship.net and you're trying to figure out when are we going to teach this and how, there's another great place to start on digitalcitizenship.net. Yeah, thank Um, you for the shout out. That's, you know, that that's that S3 framework and it's it's free. Um, You you can download it. You can modify it to your own district. That's really what it was there for but it does provide that structure um, to, for building. And, and I've got one other follow-up question for you, Mike. Um, also off script, I'm sorry. Um, no but when we look at the um, 
end user agreements for things like ChatGPT, Google Bard, and all of the others. You see all of these um, uh, disclaimers and restrictions, right? You, you have to be at least 18 to use these. Or, you know, if you're under 18, you have to have parent permissions. And, you know, there are educators and administrators who are going to say, hey, that's it. That's why we'll block it, because our kids are under 18. How, how would you respond to them? And I, I totally understand, you know, and I think we, we need to be aware of those, those, you know, questions of, you know, what can we use? And typically, you know, when they're at that age of, you know, you know, 16 or 18, there's some real reasons why that, you know, they're not, they shouldn't be on those sites. Um, uh, there are many, many sites and app, apps that are out there that, you know, that are age 13. Um, there are educational resources that are, you know, under that. So I, I'm, I'm a big advocate to make sure that we are following policy, but also finding the correct tools that can help us to build upon these. And, and that's one thing that I've advocated for a lot of districts is, begin to look at what are the things, what are the skills that we need to build up to once our students reach that age of understanding. And, and you know, I see it all the time. You know, uh, there was uh, a um, uh, app that came out at uh, the beginning of the school year. I think it was uh, one of the planets, Jupiter or Saturn, one of those uh, that came out uh, right at the beginning of the school year. Uh, but it was a sharing app, and it um, it uh, shared a lot of information about class schedules and personal information that you know we were very wary of as far as you know what kinds of information is it sharing um, that's out there. But I I think we need to help our students to have that information that you don't have to share all of that information out there. If you want to share it with your friends. There are uh, numerous different ways to share with individuals, with small groups that, uh, that can work. Um, you know, the EU has been working on this for a long time. They, they've even wanted to bring that base level that uh, is typically that age 13 up to 16 for a lot of years. And they've been working at it. Um, there's been some states here in the U.S., uh, Utah and Arkansas, have passed uh, state uh, laws that um, block or are supposed to block at a certain age, you know, different uh, uh, social media sites. And it just, you know, when you don't have something to uh, identify the age of the student, except for tell me what your birth date is. <laughs> and, you know, most kids can count forward or backward, you know, whatever age that they need to be. And then, you know, put that, put that date in. But the, the, the trickle down that we've found is that once you put that in one place, that can open up the gates to many other places. So if, you, if you're telling um, Facebook that you're three years older than you are saying you are, mm -hmm. it now can connect and say, hey, do you want to use your Facebook login to log into this site? Oh, sure. And it's going to go back to Facebook and say, 
how old is this person? And that's, you know, becomes, you know, one of those pieces. And, you know, how do we do this without giving away a lot of personal information, you know, to, you know, these websites. So it's, it's definitely a tightrope to walk this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting time for it, you know, that, you know, we're, we're kind of placed in the center, but also we're kind of a side. And so we're, we're kind of in, in two different worlds, you know, and, and I'm, I'm lucky that, you know, I, I come from an education background. I was, I was a high school science teacher when I first started out. So, you know, I, I can certainly understand. I, I definitely, you know, try to work with our teachers, with our administrators, how do you to to better um, to work on this? And we've been very fortunate. Uh, we have uh, what we call ties, which is technology integration and educational support staff that go out and help our teachers and our administrators. And they are very very active with our parents as well. They go to parent teacher conferences. They go to different uh, meetings, and they share how best to use those technologies. You know, I re- I relate it to um, driver's ed, right? You, you have to be 16 in most states to get your driver's license, but you also have to take classroom and behind the wheel instruction, and you have to get a certain number of hours, usually driving with your parents, before you can get that license that says you can use this machine on your own. And, and I think that's, I, I like that analogy for, you know, using AI or, or other mm-hmm. technology tools. Well, it's great that you mentioned that because um, I, I'll talk about uh, Dr. Marty Park again. Um, the University of Kentucky actually created what's called DDL, which is Digital Driver's License. And it yeah. is a free program that's out there um, for anybody. Um, they, they've even gone international. Um, the, I've worked with some districts up in Canada that they've used their uh, DDL program, but uh, it's exactly that. It's providing those skills before you get to the next level and and opening up more opportunities as as they build on. That's great. Um, you've alluded to this a little bit already, but uh, what what's in the works? What do you have on the horizon? What are you, what are you kind of working on right now? What's what can we expect to see next from you? I guess. Um, working with another professor, um, Dr. Ann Guchery out of uh, the University of St. Thomas uh, out of Houston. Uh, she has a, a plethora of connections at the international level. Uh, we are really opening this up to more of a global discussion. Uh, it's begun in a lot of places. You saw the UNESCO information. Uh, the UN has, has put out information uh, at different levels. But it's definitely uh, the, the students that I hear from most often now that are in doctoral programs or graduate programs that are working on this are overseas, um, not here in the United States. Um, so there is just a growing need at that international level. But I think that having that as some of the backdrop, I think, will help everybody, both here in the U.S., but also, you know, everywhere else. But it's, it's interesting, you know, we think that we're very different from each other, but they have a, a lot of the similar questions or concerns that we have um, mm-hmm. in, in various parts of the world. So 
and we're uh, we're working on that. Uh, we're, we have a book chapter that's coming out that's going to be in a, a, a academic book, uh, but we are um, looking to gather information um, both here in the U.S. but globally about what are the next steps. And really, AI is kind of at the at, at the heart of all of that. And how do we connect all of those dots? And I think that that's where people, you know, I, I, I'm trying to pull back, you know, and say, yes, I understand this is new and different, but it still falls under these same concepts. And we need to continue to, to look at the structure so that we're just not running at one technology after another, but really using it as a building block, you know, as I mentioned with the S3. Yep. You're, you're walking the talk. There's that digital communication and collaboration, right? Um, Mike, this has been a fascinating discussion today. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. If people want to get in touch with you or, or extend this conversation or, or, uh, uh, learn more, how's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, please. Um, you, you, you identified in the show notes of the digitalcitizenship.net. If you go to the contact us uh, site, uh, you can send information to me directly. Uh, I try to get back as quickly as possible, but uh, some days are better than others. But uh, usually within a couple of days, I, I try to get back in touch with folks. But uh, love to have the discussions, you know, even if they just have questions about, you know, where they are, you know, and, and I can help point them in some direction, give them some support. But, uh, you know, I... I I really want to help our educators, you know, find a path that, that makes the most sense to them. Mike, this has been fantastic. I've, I've loved every minute of it. And I, we really appreciate you being a part of this. So just wanted to say, you know, thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom and your insight here. And uh, we look forward to you know sharing this out then with, with all of our listeners. So thank you so much for being a part of this. Yeah. Thanks, thank Mike. you both. And, and, I understand that this will probably come out uh, somewhere near Digital Citizenship Week in October. So um, if I don't see everybody, happy uh, Digital Citizenship Week. Yep. And check out digitalcitizenship.net. Thanks again, Mike. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, Kristen. Hey, Matt, thanks for having me back. Hey, absolutely. We wanted to uh, check back with you. Uh, we know that you had STEM Fest right after we published our last episode, and we kind of wanted to loop back around and provide our listeners and viewers with sort of a little follow-up. So tell us, how did STEM Fest go? STEM Fest was amazing. It was amazing. It's every year... You know, you, you you build up through the planning of it going, oh, my gosh, you, you think of all the things that you've got to do. And then the day happens and you see the families and you see the kids and the smiles and the the how excited some of them, the kids and adults get when they've tried something new or learned something or saw something that that they hadn't seen before. So it was it was a fantastic day. That's cool. So what what do you think really? Um... What do you think the big attractions were there? So one of the 
fan favorites every year is the soldering stations. Um, really? Build a Blinky. Yes. Yeah. Build a Blinky has been a partner with us for many years. They've been at Stemfest uh, quite often. Mm -hmm. I think they said that their station filled up after the first 15 minutes and stayed full the entire day. There was a line. Everybody wanted to learn how to solder and build a blinky pin. Huge. That again, that one's always uh, always a draw. We had some really amazing crowds at our second annual robotics and rover expo. And oh, that cool. one, Tell us about that. So this is really neat. This came out of an idea that our robotics and rover team had last year, um, because due to COVID and everything. The teams had been working on robots and rovers and had never had a chance to really go out and um, compete with them or, or get a chance to showcase them. So mm -hmm. last year at Stemfest, the two teams got together and decided they approached us and said, hey, we want to do something at Stemfest. And so we helped them. It's a student run, a NIU student run aspect of, of the fest of Stemfest. And they set up in Anderson, they build an arena, they come up with some different uh, arena structures uh, that will showcase their robots. They invite other teams from other universities. And so this was the second year they did it. They even built a mini BattleBot arena where they Ooh, had the cool. smaller I love battle And what's really cool is we've partnered them with FIRST Robotics. We have some high school FIRST Robotics teams that come in as well. And it's really showcasing these student-built robots. Um, and this year, we we always every year we've got buses of students that come from different surrounding schools, and some of them got to start there. And so they had some little demos that they talked about, and it's really exciting for our middle school, our elementary kids, our high school kids to see. These are what high school kids are building, and these are what NIU students are building. You can come to NIU and be part of these clubs that are building these rovers and robots from scratch. And um, that that's really cool. Um, we had the Be Pro, Be Proud truck here this year, which was a first. And oh, this is it's an 18-wheeler that Oof. pulls up. And inside are different simulations and activities where people can explore the different trades. So there is a diesel truck driving simulation. There's a train driving simulation. There was a machine area. There were some robotics areas. I think there was a lineman simulation. So it's really kind of a place uh -huh. to explore some of those some of the other careers that we don't think of as STEM careers, but are very much STEM careers. And so that was actually brought in by our our event, one of our big event sponsors, Meta. And so they partnered to bring that in. And that was really neat. Um, oh, goodness, we had so many different things going on from the weather balloon launch, which is always a fan favorite. That's another one that every year we work with Dr. Victor Gensini, who launches a weather balloon to collect active data. And then you would talk about the data. Uh, we had the art department was doing cyanotypes out in the beautiful day. Oh my gosh, we oh, could yeah. not have asked for a more perfect day, which it is exactly what the art department needed to do cyanotypes and do some sun printing. Um, so many neat things. It was 
With this year, one of the different things we did, um, we zoned the, the STEM Fest a little different way. And so we had a health and wellness zone. So to oh, nice. see all of the different booths and exhibitors that focused on health and wellness and the wide variety of um, student groups and departments on campus who connect to the health and wellness topic and how, again, that's a really important career path that people don't always think of when they think of STEM, but so connected, so very much a part of STEM and STEAM. How many people do you think, I mean, I mean you said you had students, um, it was open to the public as well. How many people attended? Do you have like a breakdown or anything like that? So we do our best to estimate. Uh, to estimate. Uh, it's an open house style event. We don't require people to register. But based on, you know, we know we had probably between 2,500 to 3,000 people go through the haunted lab alone. Wow. So we're, we're estimating by the time you think of all of the people that participated and attended, it was above 5,000 people that, that were on campus to celebrate, celebrate STEM, which is amazing. Awesome. Well, hey, Kristen, I know you've, we wanted to give you a chance to kind of decompress after the big event um, and and think about, you know, how it went and so on before we got back in touch with you. Have you started to make any plans for next year? Oh, yeah. Oh, can yeah. You can you tell us anything about them or should we circle back around next? That, I mean, we'll probably circle back around next year, but oh, absolutely. anything you can so, tell us about? What I can say is next year is the 15th annual STEM Fest. Ooh. So it is hard to believe that we have been doing this for 15 years. Um, it's been amazing to watch it grow over all that time. Um, so we are already starting to think about what can we do to really make year 15 special. Um, so yeah, we're no concrete plans yet but planning has started All right. uh, ideas are circling okay. we've just had a big debrief with my team actually on tuesday to when one of our one of the post-it notepads was big ideas for 2024 so okay so plans already are already in the works yep we're you know who should be our big guest should we bring in a big guest should we do something uh, collaborative art sculpts. There's so many different ideas that are floating around of how to make uh, the 15th year really special. Excellent. 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 Well, we won't keep you any longer. Thank you for that update. And for our viewers and listeners, we did a much more in-depth interview with Dr. Brentison during episode one, um, where Kristen talks about the NIU STEM and STEAM framework uh, and, and, and how that can be used in K-12 education. Uh, so definitely go back to episode one, check that out. And Kristen, if people wanna get in touch with you to learn more about the framework or to you know, help support or be a part of uh, STEAM Fest next year, how can people get in touch with you and learn more? So you can always email me at kbrentison at niu.edu. You can find our website, niu.edu slash niusteam. Um, 
On that website, if you scroll all the way to the bottom, you will see where you can sign up for our eblast. Ah. Our eblast comes out uh, bi-monthly, always packed full of great information, uh, notices of some of the new things coming up. We will probably in the spring be launching some new teacher professional development, which we're starting to plan oh, and getting excited about. Cool. Um, summer camps, we're, we're already thinking summer camps, so summer camp opportunities, but visit the website, sign up for the newsletter. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and X. We're, uh, we're on all of those places as well. Very good. Okay. Well, um, Kristen, thank you for your time today. Um, enjoy a little, I hope you get a little downtime before uh, you start ramping up for next year. But uh, uh, if you haven't checked out NIU STEAM, check out the show notes for this episode and you'll find direct links to all of that, including Kristen's full-length interview during episode one. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the LTC one-to-one podcast. You can find and subscribe to this video podcast on YouTube or listen to the audio by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was produced by the Learning Technology Center of Illinois, a program of the Illinois State Board of Education. Learn more about the LTC at ltcillinois.org.